Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me this morning. I hope everyone had a very good Christmas yesterday and that you're still enjoying the Christmas holidays as we go now from Christmas to New Year's. But I just want to encourage you, carry Jesus with you all the time and let's celebrate him all the time, not just once a year, not just twice a year, not even just once a week, but every single day. I am thankful and excited to be sharing the next 30 minutes with you as we open up the Word of God. And today will be week number 17 on the 50 Commands of Christ. And we will finish up today with Commands number 49 and number 50. And I hope you have been getting something out of this teaching. It's a, it's a wonderful teaching. I'm not saying I'm a wonderful teacher, but the material itself is outstanding. This has also given me a wonderful opportunity to do some rewrites to make it even stronger, and I'd praise God for that. We have a lot to cover in these last two commands, so let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, and then we will jump right into it. Father God, what an honor, what a privilege to serve you. Thank you, Father, for loving us Thank you for giving us your words. God, I thank you for this teaching of the 50 commands of Christ, that we can dig into your word and see how you want us to live this life. You give us everything that we need, and you tell us everything we need to know. God, we just need to apply it. So as you told us through James, we need to be doers of your word and not hearers only. So God, I pray that we will all purpose in our hearts to put your word to action in our lives, Father God. And God, just want to thank you for just loving us. God, this time of year when, when more families come together, Lord, it's more focus is put on you by people who normally wouldn't focus on you. Lord, I just pray that during this time, more and more people will come to you and keep their focus on you, Lord Jesus. In a world that is full of chaos, you came, Jesus, to give us peace, to give us life. Lord, you came to give us eternal life. We thank you. We praise you for that. Thank you for, for coming to this earth and living a perfect life and doing so many awesome teachings and miracles, signs and wonders. Thank you for dying for our sins. And thank you, Father, on the third day you raised Jesus back to life. And all who believe shall not perish but have eternal life. And I pray if anyone is listening today and they have not given their lives to you, I pray that today they will. I pray today, Holy Spirit, you will just open up the eyes of their hearts, that they can see the truth of your gospel and give their lives to you today, Father. So, Father, we ask you to bless this time. Holy Spirit, teach us, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory, and we love you, Father. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Command number 49, teach disciples to obey all Christ commanded. Now, this comes from the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And if you've listened to this program any at all, you know I teach a lot on the Great Commission. It's not only a great verse or great scripture, but it's, it's just a great lifestyle that he wants us to live. And let's start there today and read the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you see there, 
teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That is part of his overall command to go and make disciples. Now, if you're wondering what exactly is a disciple, well, a disciple means a learner or a student, a pupil. And a New Testament disciple is one who is under biblical instruction to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings. And in the Bible, some people follow Jesus for only a short time and then dropped out because of the cost. That's something we have to remember and consider. Being a disciple and being a believer are not one and the same. Just because somebody believes in Jesus does not mean that person is a disciple of Jesus. That's different. You see, salvation is a free gift, but being a disciple means there is a cost. Now, ideally, all believers should be disciples of Jesus, but unfortunately, not all believers actually follow Jesus and follow through being his disciples. We see that in the Gospels, but we see that today as well. And I want to talk about that cost, because there is a cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus plainly tells us he's not trying to hide anything. He is very transparent to us all the time. And when we look at his word, we see that you know, there is a cost. And let's go to that, where he's very specific about it in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus, he lays it out right there, doesn't he? I mean, there's no uncertain terms there that he lays it out and says that there is a cost to following him. He uses some harsh words, some harsh examples there, doesn't he? We look at, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't calling us to hate anyone. But what he's calling us to do is to love him first. And for example, in my marriage, Martha and I, we love each other tremendously. And people who know us, they see that, they know that. But Martha's first love is Jesus, and my first love is Jesus. And he's first in our lives. He's first in our marriage. And since he's first, his love can flow through us to each other. And that's what he's talking about. He wants us to put him first, love him first, more than any anyone else. And Jesus, in Luke 14, he lays out the terms of discipleship. And notice in 20, verse 25 that there were great crowds following him. And people, they wanted to see the miracles. They enjoyed seeing people get healed and people getting delivered, the miracles of food being multiplied. People heard about these miracles. People saw these miracles, and that's what they enjoyed. 
And of course, hey, if there's going to be a lot of food there, some things hadn't changed in 2,000 years, has it? You put food out, people are going to come. And so Jesus had all these people following him, but he knew their hearts. He knew those who were following him because of what he did, and he knew those who followed him because of who he was. There's a big difference there. And today we still have that, unfortunately. People, they were willing to watch. They were willing to watch Jesus do everything, but they did not want to do anything themselves. And that's true for today, isn't it? People want the benefits of being a believer in Jesus Christ. People want the forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven, his blessings here on earth, but they do not want to truly follow him because it might cost them something. And you know what? It will. It will cost us something, but it's so worth it. Jesus is so worth it. And I want to read something to you. I found the following on a website called Got Questions, and it's a biblical website about biblical questions. And there's some, there's some pretty good stuff on there. And this I thought was really good, so I wanted to read it to you. And it's about counting the costs. And the author writes, counting the costs means recognizing and agreeing to some terms first. In following Jesus, we cannot simply follow our own inclinations. We cannot follow him and the world's way at the same time. And Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Following Jesus may mean we lose relationships. It may mean we lose some dreams that we've had, some material things, and in some cases, even our own lives. First century Christians, that was a reality, wasn't it? And there's many Christians today around this world where that is a reality. Those who are following Jesus simply for what they can get won't stick around when the going gets tough. When God's way conflicts with our way, we feel betrayed by the shallow me-first faith we have brought into it, into this relationship. If we have not counted the cost of being his child, we will turn away at the threat of sacrifice and find something else to gratify our selfish desires. Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 5, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And in Mark, chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. In Jesus' earthly ministry, there came a time when public opinion turned ugly. The cheering crowds, well, they became jeering crowds. And Jesus knew ahead of time that all of this was going to happen. But you know what? He counted the cost, and he did it anyway because he loves us. Jesus ended his description of the cost of discipleship with a breathtaking statement. And let's read that again in Luke 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That word renounce, it may mean we have to give up something physically. More importantly, it means we let go emotionally so that what we possess no longer possesses us. When we 
become one of his, a true follower of Jesus, we cannot continue to belong to this world. And let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we have to make a choice, don't we? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And too many times people want to try to do that, but you can't because you're going to end up loving one and not loving the other. And many times people love money much more than they love God. and We can't do that. Our love for God has to be above all else. And there's a story that Jesus tells us about a rich young ruler, and he was confronted with that choice. And in, that's in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 25. And let's read that. And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, that rich young ruler, he had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. And he loved those more than he loves Jesus. So we need to look at our lives do we love anything or anyone more than we do Jesus? If so, we need to stop. We need to pray. We need to repent and start following him, start loving him first and above all else. You know, Jesus may not ask us to go and sell everything. He may. But the thing is, are we willing to forsake all and follow Jesus? That's the point we have to get to. And trust me when I say this, from my personal experience of following Jesus for 32 years, it's worth it. He thought we were worth enduring the cross. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing more fulfilling than truly following Jesus and being his disciple. It's worth it, y'all. It is worth it. Follow him. Put him first above all else. And what he does in your life and through your life will just blow you away. And Jesus says, teach disciples to obey all the commands. And that includes baptism, which is part of the Great Commission, right? We read the Great Commission at the beginning. And baptizing believers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, well, it's a sign or it's a symbol that the old life and its connections to selfishness and the things of this world have been broken. And those being baptized are saying, I'm entering into this new life by faith in Christ and a new fellowship with Jesus as my teacher, as my master. And it's often the first act of obedience to our Messiah's commands to follow him. 
Now, this is quite different from an infant baptism. That's more of a dedication because you can't truly be baptized unless you're making that decision for yourself that you want to follow Jesus. But now there's baby dedications where parents would dedicate the child to God and Oftentimes there's there's a, a either anointing with oil or sprinkling of water on the child's head as a dedication to God. And he tells us to teach. And teaching means that we are proclaiming obedience to his word and seeking to bring others into this relationship, training them to win over and train others. In other words, teaching believers to go out and tell others about Jesus and then making disciples of them. And we read this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And we really love this scripture, too, because it's the basis for which training for trainers are discipleship method that we teach, at least one of them that we teach. And it's, it's a main teaching of ours where we train new believers to be students, to be disciples of Jesus, and train them how to teach others as well. And this scripture here is what this T4T, Training for Trainers, is based on. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, you then, my child, being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is telling Timothy, I've trained you. And now you got to take this message and teach it to others so they can take it and teach it to others. That's how discipleship is. It's a multiplication. And that's why we still have the word with us today and why we are disciples of Christ today and able to make disciples. This means building others in the word, teaching them to know, guard, and apply the word to their lives so they can in turn become disciple makers. When we hear the terms missionary or evangelist, we often think of, oh, a missionary is somebody who serves in a foreign country. An evangelist, well, there's somebody who goes into churches and leads revivals, right? (laughs) Or back in the old days where there was tent revivals, and there still are some tent revivals going on, but not nearly as many as it used to be. But you know what? If you are a follower of Jesus, we're all a missionary and an evangelist to a certain extent. Now, there's callings for that, but we are called to go out and tell people about Jesus. That's the work of an evangelist. That's the work of a missionary. And that's for each and every one of us, not just for an evangelist, not just for a pastor or a missionary, but for all who are believers in Jesus Christ. See, that's why we have to be disciples, be trained to follow him. So we know what to do. We'll go out and reach others for Jesus, and we can also train disciples. And the Great Commission is for all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus. As I always say, it's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. And it's a lifestyle. It's not an event or a church activity. It's a lifestyle, and it's not an option. We must be about our Father's business, and that's what the Great Commission is about. Like I said, it's a lifestyle. It's every day going about our lives, whether we're at work or at a store, at a coffee house, or maybe you're a student, you're at school, we need to be telling and showing people about Jesus. Now, you don't have to take a Bible and beat it over somebody's head, but people can see there's something different in your life. 
and that something different is the change that Jesus has made in your life. And so we need to let people know that's sharing our testimony, telling people what Jesus did in our lives over the weekend even. You know, when you go back to work or go back to school, it's just sharing Jesus and also walking it out in front of others. And this 49th command to teach others to obey what Jesus has taught us, we have to do it. And that's why the 50 commands of Christ is such a great teaching because we need to know his commands so we can follow them ourselves. We can't just tell people to follow his commands and don't do them ourselves. We, we can't live that way. We need to know them, we need to live them, and we need to teach them. Number 50, receive God's power. Let's read the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What a powerful scripture that is. I love Acts 1.8 because Jesus is telling us, you can do this great commission. You can be my witnesses. And actually, not just you can, but you will be. And why? Because he has given us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. Now, this was the last message Jesus would give his disciples and us before he ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, and he said that we would receive power. Now, that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't give us an option. He said we would be his witnesses. He didn't say we could be his witnesses, or if we felt like it, we could be his witnesses. No, he said we would be his witnesses. The John MacArthur Bible Commentary says this about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The apostles' mission of spreading the gospel was the major reason the Holy Spirit empowered them. This event dramatically altered world history, and the gospel message eventually reached all parts of the earth. The apostles had already experienced the Holy Spirit's saving, guiding, teaching, and miracle-working power. Soon, they would receive his indwelling presence and a new dimension of power for witness. A witness is one who tells the truth about Jesus Christ. The Greek word for witness means one who dies for his faith because that was commonly the price of witnessing. So you see that in Acts 1.8. He tells us we will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon us and we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, that word witness in the Greek that it was written in means one who dies for his faith. And that was the way life was back then in the first century, the first church. If you were a follower of Christ, chances are you were going to face death because you were a believer. And again, there's many areas in this world where that is true today, that people are persecuted unto death. But as a follower of Christ, we can have the power not to waver in that moment but to still be his witness, even if it costs us our lives. That's the kind of power Jesus is talking about. The power to witness, tell others about him and his gospel, even in the face of the most extreme form of persecution. Now, do we have to do anything to receive God's power? Well, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, 
verses 22 through 24. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. As a Christian, is receiving God's power an option or a command? For the Jesus follower, someone who belongs to Jesus, to our Messiah, and is submitted to him, receiving and using spiritual power is a command. It is not an option. It's a command from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And Ephesians 5, verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So spiritual power is a key to waking up sleeping Christians. We keep hearing people saying we need revival, we need revival. Well, we need to have the power of God and that comes through his Holy Spirit in us, giving us that power to be his witness to everyone, everywhere we go. So spiritual power is that key, and we've got to have the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's part of the Trinity. Some people like to kind of keep him off to the side like he's that crazy uncle nobody wants to talk about. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow him. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. He empowers us to make disciples, to fulfill all that Jesus wants us to do. It is an essential ingredient to evangelism. You remember, evangelism is for all of us. So all Christians should be challenged to believe and trust the power that Jesus promised. And as we read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, do you believe that the same power that raised Jesus from his grave is available to help you in making changes in your life? Well, I hope that you do believe that because he does have the power to change our lives. And how do I know? Because he has changed my life. And if he can change this old boy, he can change anybody. Jesus is real. God the Father is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And we need to just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us, teach us, lead us, and guide us. And he will. And we will be about our Father's business like we're supposed to be. Well, that brings us to the end of the 50 commands of Christ. And now that we have studied these 50 commands, let's be obedient. Let's be obedient to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's go out and reach others tell others about them, lead others to the Lord, and teach others his commands. Make disciples and train them how to make disciples. We can do it.
He promises us, and all of his promises are true. If you've missed any of these teachings, you can go back on our podcast and listen to them. You can find the Love and Action podcast at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find the Love and Action podcast. It's also on our, our website. You can go to loveandactionministries.com, scroll down to the bottom of that homepage, and the Love and Action podcast is, is right there. You can click on any link you want to and listen to these messages. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, call out to him today. He loves you. He wants to forgive you, and save you, and give you eternal life. If you've got questions or if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you don't know what to do next, please contact me. You can email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. Ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to give you some next steps. I would love to try to answer any questions you may have. So please contact me. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. I hope you have a wonderful week coming up and a great New Year's. Next time we come together on Sunday morning with Love and Action, we will be in 2022. So Happy New Year, everybody. May God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.